Hello and welcome to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcast. My name is Leslie Goodburn. Series 2 will explore many different aspects of pancreatic cancer and we will meet patients, carers, nurses, doctors, oncologists, scientists, fundraisers and charity workers all working so hard to support people affected by the disease, developing research that might just be the breakthrough to extend and improve quality of life and maybe one day find a cure for a disease which has such low survival rates. So join me and Charlotte Foster, our resident podcaster from Charlotte Foster Productions, on the second journey of discovery into the world of pancreatic cancer. These podcasts are dedicated to the memory of my husband, Seth Goodburn, who died 33 short and heartbreaking days after diagnosis and are in support of Pancreatic Cancer UK. Here we are, Series 2 of the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. We are starting somewhere a little bit different. We're on location for once. We've, we've gone we've, we've gone to that there, London. We're at BMA House, where Pancreatic Cancer UK is holding its annual summit. Uh, Leslie, what are we doing here today? We're talking about accelerating success, apparently. So we're going to be talking throughout the day to various different people about their experiences of pancreatic cancer. Um, the day is going to be framed by Pancreatic Cancer UK updating us on their vision for the future. Um, the Demand Faster Treatment campaign that generated 100,600 signatures that was handed into 10 Downing Street a few days ago. Um, they're going to be talking to various different researchers, research projects around faster treatment. We're going to be hearing some patient stories today, contrasting patient stories. Um, there's some workshops around patient experience, some work that's been done around the surveys, um, faster treatment pathways, and also the research agenda. And then we're going to finish off the day with a um, NHS England view of the long-term plan that's come out, which is around funding for the NHS, how that might affect pancreatic cancer, um, and what the future will hold, hopefully, in the next few years. Diana, who's the um, CEO of Pancreatic Cancer UK, wants to kind of stand in the same place in 10 years' time and say that we did it. So today is all about framing and, and getting the action in place so that we, we can do it and we can make a difference. Uh, I'm excited for today and we'll soon hear what people have got to say. I'm Michelle Bass and I'm here today because I have pancreatic cancer stage four. Basically, my cancer has spread to my liver. Um, so therefore it's classed as stage four. I'm Cheryl Howard, I'm Michelle's sister, big sister, um, and uh, this is the second time that we've been to one of the summits, so um, we're here to learn and yeah, absorb information about research really. You're here today uh, at the Pancreatic Cancer UK uh, Summit and you're here to find out a little bit more you say? Yeah, I was kind of here today to find out a little bit about um, clinical trials because everywhere I've searched online um, it seems to be that clinical trials are available for people in my situation but they're not actually available for people that have had previous treatment Um, and it's been clarified that yes there isn't anything really out there at the moment for me Um, so that's I came here today to find out a little bit more information really. When did you get diagnosed? I got diagnosed in 2016, it was um, March 2016. 
and what was that like? I mean, it sounds like it is a really stupid question to ask what it's like, but for people that haven't been through that, what what goes through your mind? What goes through your head when they say those words? I think um, for me, it was probably slightly different um, in the respect that I had been diagnosed with a high-grade lymphoma in my mouth. Um, the following month, I was diagnosed with a low-grade lymphoma in my bones, follicular lymphoma. Um, and they found a shining on my pancreas. Um, they didn't want to assume that it was um, lymphoma, so I had an EUS. They took a fine needle sample, um, and it turned out to be pancreatic cancer. Um, so we'd kind of had two devastating blows. So the third blow, I didn't know anything really about pancreatic cancer. The only thing that I did know is they said that um, we don't want it to be that. Um, so when I did find out, we were kind of a little bit numb by it. Um, and it probably took about a week for it to sink in, um, really, yeah. So it was kind of, yeah, it was, it was, it was a long, long process for my emotions to actually hit home. And if you, like so many people, weren't really aware of it, I guess that doesn't help when, you, when you're told that you've got it as well. No, when I was told that I had it, I went to see a pancreatic nurse specialist um, and she was very blasé, don't worry, it's really small, we can just nip it out, you won't need any chemo. Um, and I said that I wanted to, you know, I'd planned to go away for my 40th birthday and she said, yeah, go ahead, do it. So I did, um, had a great time, um, but still there was no information had come back uh, by the time I got home I still didn't have any information so that's when I started to look into it a little bit more um, and and it kind of alarm bells started ringing because it had been going on too long and no no treatment had, had started. Big sisters here Cheryl what's it been like for you going through this as and I'm a big sister so mm-hmm. I, I kind of understand you're very I'm very protective of my little sister. So the first stage was Denial, and there's still a lot of that, actually. So we kind of um, just uh, pack that away in the back of our um, our heads, compartmentalise our lives a little bit, um, and try to carry on as normal. Um, there's also, you know, all of the kind of like research, and we kind of check in with each other and um, to see how she's feeling and how and what's what the next stages are. But I think from a family member. You, it, it's, the worry is just huge and you know I think my parents specifically they really do just kind of try and bury it um, and get on day to day um, you know my dad's a great keyboard warrior um, and he'll you know let Michelle know what the next cure is um, you know eat lots of mushrooms and all of that good good advice but um and th- but that's his way of coping with it so he's kind of like researching and finding the cure for it so but I think a lot of it is you, you try to you try to bury it how do you keep being positive hope hope is what we live for we live that something else is going to come along new treatment um, yeah, I hope that something's going to happen. I'm Chris MacDonald and I'm the Head of Research at Pancreatic Cancer UK. I suppose what I have the privilege of being able to is actually to be able to um, bring back hope to people that have had it removed by a, just a horrible diagnosis and prognosis of pancreatic cancer. And the way I can do that is to support our research community. Uh, I can support the you know our future leaders, those young minds, uh, to have a long and a really effective career career in pancreatic cancer 
research. I support um, innovation, so new left field ideas, stuff that shouldn't that shouldn't be funded usually because like you know the great and the good say it's not but actually we say it could be really innovative and really useful and might you know break a, a door open towards um more effective treatments for people with pancreatic cancer and i suppose as well to support the need for you know the really huge desire and unmet need of people with pancreatic cancer to get that early diagnosis and to support the research community to come together and network so they can actually deliver an early diagnosis that people need so yeah i mean it's a long way around of saying like i'm in a in, a, in the i'm in the business of hope which is an incredible thing in the in, my, in the context of a of a, of a in a research environment yeah. hope is what i hear a lot of how important is it um hope is incredibly important not only for people with pancreatic cancer but really you can't you can't underestimate hope in terms of the research as well um, and that's for people actually delivering the research they need to have they need to be able to see that uh, a field is moving somewhere that there is hope of progression and there is hope of genuinely delivering great clinical trials um, and if that isn't there then people move away from it they naturally go to places where there's low hanging fruit and they'll get the funding that they want to, to get. And I think it's really interesting that um, hope is often used in the context of patients, but it should really be used for those researchers as well in terms of, you know, they want to deliver actually really effective, great tri trials and studies and things like that. So hope for them is really important too. And where do you see this hope coming from then? Ooh. Well, you know, Pancreatic Cancer UK do an incredible line, line in hope. Um, you know, an incredible amount of investment of time and effort, energy from everything from the internal staff, us research, campaigns, policy, fundraising, but to an incredible supporter base. Do an amazing job, at, um, you know, giving hope and in giving a hope and environment to kind of grow. Um, and I think we are seeing those, you know, those new shoots of, of actual genuine movement and progression within the field. You know, I was speaking today to people who genuinely say early diagnosis, a simple test for early diagnosis is like two, three years away. And that's an incredible thing. The, 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 the doors that would open with an early diagnosis for people and for researchers is, would be an incredible thing. Research-wise then, what are we looking at? Or what are we looking at? So I've got any of this. Research-wise, uh, what, what are you looking at at the moment? What is this kind of in your, in your mind for research? Um, I think for research, what I want to do is, I think what is good for us to do is to de-risk things. So things that um, conventionally might be seen by other funders to be like, you know, it's, oh, it's a bit blue skies. Um, you know, they're a bit, then, you know, they don't have the track record, all these things that have like, that will prevent people from um, actually realizing really good ideas, but they just maybe, you know, haven't had the right institute or they haven't had the right support and stuff like that. I want us to be that, that funder that de-risks those things to just go, you know what, we would really, we really, appreciate what you're trying to do let us step in and help you and if that leads somewhere then that's amazing and if that leads to CRUK funding or from the you know Wellcome Trust or the National Institute of Health Research I don't care as long as it's loads of money and it's loads of money for them to deliver something really good so our our interventions around trying to ensure that they're 
research is as rich and as compelling as possible. And I think we can really do that with even, you know, we have small amounts of money, but we punch well above our weight in terms of that money. My name's Debbie Wells and um, I've been involved with Pancreatic Cancer UK for many years. Uh, I was employed by them for about eight years and part of the sort of original pioneering team, very proudly, that helped shape and set the charity up. I now uh, involve myself with the charity by um, working on the uh, patient carer advisory board. So... If you wouldn't mind explaining just how you started to get involved in the charity, what was your story? Uh, I lost my daughter Gemma to pancreatic cancer nine years ago this year in 2010 and previously I had been working within the social care and charity sector and I was actually working with Macmillan ironically at the time my daughter became diagnosed and I then as a result of her diagnosis and of suddenly finding myself catapulted into the pancreatic cancer world I then actually became involved with pancreatic cancer UK which as I say at the time was a very embryonic charity um, and really then just started working with them once she died I felt that I should actually could use my skills and experience in a very positive way to try and help other people tell me a little bit about Gemma then what was she like Gemma was absolutely, uh, she was a live wire, she was vibrant, she was a very um, engaging, lively personality. She was 26 when she was diagnosed and died at 27. She had a huge heart, she was always smiling, very smiley, bubbly personality is how people used to describe her. Um, and she really didn't understand what was happening to her with the disease and I think that part of that for me was her personality in that she kind of was just wanting to just get on with life and almost ignore this what, this thing that was happening to her. So she breezed her way through a lot of it until really she became too ill. But she was uh, just one of the most beautiful people that I've ever met and of course I'm incredibly biased because she was my daughter. <laughs> Yeah, but you're allowed to be biased when it's your daughter, aren't you? Um, and so when Gemma did get that diagnosis, how did it affect you all as a family? I think what was interesting is is the, is the how different we all um, were impacted. Obviously, as her mum, I was in complete shock but I also realised that I had a really practical job to do in terms of still trying to care for her. Um, but it affected so many of us in different ways. Her brother, who was only 19, and who were, they were very close to having to sort of watch his sister, he really kind of denied all of that that was happening and threw himself into his work and whatever, and his life really, and used to hide away a lot in his room. My, my mother, who's in her 80s, you know, and Gemma was her most precious only granddaughter, so you can imagine the impact on her. My sisters. Gemma's fiance. she was due to be married the same year she died and I think it's very difficult to generalise the impact on the family because I think we all had a different and unique um, reaction. Nine years since she's died and obviously I'm not saying it gets any easier but days sort of change don't they? How has the grieving process been for you? Um, it definitely changes I don't think that it's something you ever move on from, and I've always been very careful not to use that phrase. I think in, in what happens is you get on 
because you don't have an option, you have to get on with your life. For me, the grieving process has become perhaps softer, um, not quite so raw, but that doesn't mean to say that there are times, seconds, minutes in a day where it does suddenly overpower you totally. Uh, it, to lose my child has chemically, psychologically and emotionally altered me as a person. And that is, uh, and I, it, it's, a, it, it's definitely a learning process and I'm still going through that learning day by day, nine years on, and I think I always will be. In those nine years, you've been trying to do something positive, haven't you? Yes, well, by working with the charity, I did feel very strongly that we could, that a, 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 something perhaps could come out of the experience that we'd had. It was a shocking experience. It wasn't a good, a great NHS experience. Um, and Gemma was diagnosed far too late for any treatment, so there wasn't enough early diagnosis because of her age. So I really wanted to try, using my own sort of background skills and knowledge and, and experience, to see, to be part of a, a changing movement that would hopefully try and change outcomes for everyone affected by pancreatic cancer. How far do you think that's come along? Do you think there's success or do you think there's still further to go? There is success, but it's very slow. It certainly isn't happening as fast as we'd like. And the story that I tell from nine years ago, unfortunately still being replicated today in terms of late diagnosis, non-access to treatment. Um, but having said that on the positive side, having seen the charity grow, develop, uh, I can honestly say that I think there's a, there's a, 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 a real sort of spark of hope on the horizon. Uh, and I do feel quite confident that in maybe maybe 10 to 20 years, there'll be a lot more promising research coming out, um, some different forms of treatment. Uh, and I do think that there is a light somewhere in the future for pancreatic cancer. It just isn't probably happening fast enough. I was going to say, what, do you, what would you like to see in nine years' time, you know, another nine years' time? Would, what, would you, what would the dream be? I think the dream would be to, for everybody who, who presents at their GP with any kind of vague symptoms that could be related to the pancreas, that they are seen quickly, they are taken seriously, especially younger people, because that was a huge issue for us. Gemma being so young, her disease was a little bit dismissed in that, it won't be that because you're too young. So I think for, for my dream would be everybody gets the earlier diagnosis and the faster access to treatment that they need. My name's Margaret Datsun um, and I'm me. I am a pancreatic cancer survivor, but I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother and I'm me. Just tell me a little bit about, about your journey, about, what, about why you're here today. Um, it really started in the year 2000 when my mum was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She was taken ill in the May and she died at the end of July. So it was three months from first feeling poorly to dying. And then six years later, I wasn't very well at all. Um, and I too was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. But I was very fortunate in that I was um, referred quickly after my diagnosis and I had a Whipple's operation at the QE in Birmingham followed by six months chemotherapy and then the real journey began getting well after that which took quite a long time and 
then I found out about the charity and started doing a little bit for them and the rest is history so to speak. I'm now quite an active volunteer and so the summit is obviously a really good day to come to. So you know for people listening that would be thinking blimey two instances of pancreatic cancer mother to daughter how would that affect your you and, and, and your family? Uh, obviously it was completely devastating. When I was diagnosed, I really thought my life was over, which was a very hard thing to tell the children. My husband was obviously with me at the time, but to go home and tell the children what my diagnosis was, because at that point we thought it was curtains. If you had pancreatic cancer, you didn't, you didn't survive. So yes, it was a real, really hard journey for everybody, but we're a close-knit family and we pulled together and took baby steps along the way. And seeing your, your mum die so quickly, that must have been really at the forefront of your mind when you had your diagnosis. Absolutely. Oh, I'm sorry. It's all right. <laughs> um, so, obviously you're here, and you say you do a little bit for the charity. You've just won a Star Award. Don't say it's just a little bit. But I'm a backroom girl. I just, I just do a little. I just do my, do my bit. And what is your on, bit? Get on with my bit. For um, people that don't know you, there's a lot that you do. Don't just, don't put yourself down <laughs> like this. Um, well, I help with an information stand at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham, where we have all the publications from the charity, and we're there at clinics so that um, patients can come along and get more information from us. Um, I'm a side by side volunteer which is a new initiative by the charity for people that are either about to have a Whipple's operation or have had one and are on their chemotherapy where they are matched to a volunteer and we provide telephone support for them because the one thing that I found when I was diagnosed was how lonely a place it was because unlike some of the other um, charities that have local support groups there was nothing for pancreatic cancer you didn't meet anybody because the reality was most people most people died how important do you think it is that people can see you as a survivor of pancreatic cancer then and being so visible i think it gives them hope that, that you know that i am one of the statistics that actually actually make it and that's so important you said you you know you got your diagnosis you had your whipples operation you had the chemotherapy and then you started getting well what was that like um it was really hard because recovering was was tremendous because not only the operation is a huge operation to get over, but then you had the chemotherapy effect as well. I did try after a year to go back to school because that's who I thought I was, a teacher, and I went back on a part-time basis of two days a week and I survived for 10 weeks. And I couldn't, I could, just couldn't do it. And occupational health um, suggested that I should seek early retirement, which broke my heart because I was a teacher, and that's that to me was being normal. But then you learn that there's a new normality to be to be found. And have you found that new normality? Yes, life is life is very very different. I became a grandmother. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> so I have four grandchildren and another one on the way so that is re- that is really that is really special and um, and obviously now I do quite a lot of volunteering with the charity so I have a new me in, in that respect so yes and it's just great to put something back because I feel so blessed with every day I'm alive
What a day I had. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, You just heard a few of the voices um, from the people that I spoke to on the day. And now anyone who listened to the first series of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcast will not be in the slightest bit surprised by what I'm about to say. Yes, I spoke to so many people and had such great conversations with so many people. And these conversations uh, were so great that there's just not enough time in one episode of the podcast for us to fit it all in. So you're getting a bonus. You're getting an extra podcast um, about the the summit Uh, that will come to you next week. And I think I'll have a few more reflections on on the day as well. But initially... um, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who spoke to me on the day. I was flinging my microphone in people's faces left, right and centre. Uh, but everyone was really happy to talk to me and lots of honesty as well. And I know there were some bits that were quite emotional and listening back to them today. Actually, it's 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 emotional for me as well. It's It's easy for me when I'm doing the job of reporting and interviewing. It's I can put on... I put on that role. It's when I get home now and listen back to them that I think, gosh, yeah, you've just told me something really important. And I hope that comes across in in these podcasts, the, uh, the importance of what everybody is saying and how important it is that everybody does have a voice. More to come then from the Pancreatic Cancer UK Summit in our next episode, which will come to you next week. In the meantime, thank you for listening.